Welcome to the Yang Gang Roundtable. It is 3.21 p.m. Friday, December 18th. We have Ariel, Faye Doney, Faye Koo, Joshua Eastlick, myself, and Mike Mineta from Wolfpack here. So let's see. Welcome. Thank you for coming. It's very good to see you, very good to meet you. I was uh, telling Mike right before we started how I remember hearing about Wolfpack a long time ago, maybe around 2012 or so, just just really after I got into independent political news, which I first got into through the Young Turks, which I no longer watch, but they were good back in the day, and that is how I learned about Wolfpack. So I know you guys are, you've been doing good work for a long time, and your premise is simple, accessible, and hard to argue with, which is just get money out of politics. So pretty good stuff, I'd say. Yeah, give us an introduction to uh, what you guys do. Sure. Yeah, I found out about Wolfpack probably the same way you did, actually, which was just listening to independent media, the TYT. Uh, used to listen to a bunch of uh, independent media on uh, satellite radio, actually, back, way back in the day, which oh, is how yeah, I stumbled yeah, across yeah. them. And uh, I was... Radio. Uh, yeah, I was working for the phone company, just driving around a lot, actually. Oh, wow. And I just was, I think, I would imagine, like all of you and a lot of people listening, just really started to realize how messed up it is, you know, in D.C., how, how corrupt our system actually is, how much our government, unfortunately, has gone astray, no longer represents the interest of the people. And that's been shown through data, which I'm sure you're also familiar with, right? Um Princeton study is the one that most people point to to show that over the last 40, 50 years, there's literally no, no correlation uh, between what the American people wanted and what Congress ended up passing for legislation. So, um, yeah, just, just kind of get fed up. And when Wolfpack was first announced, I volunteered on the very first day and uh, just kind of worked my way up from there. And I was organizing director, and now I'm uh, the national director. And uh, our plan is I think fairly straightforward. We are going for an amendment to solve the the problem of big money and special interest in uh, American elections. And we believe that Congress is very dysfunctional and has become really unresponsive to the people. So there are only two ways to get an amendment to the constitution. One is two thirds of Congress can propose an amendment. Then it would have to be approved afterwards by three quarters of the states. Uh, that route also requires three quarters and move on because the, the systemic corruption that we're facing in D.C. is the root. It's the root cause of all this other dysfunction and our inability to solve all of these really big, urgent issues of our time. So if you're on the left, you, you probably care about climate change. Consider that very urgent. If you are fiscally minded, you may care about fiscal responsibility, right? The, the, the budget. And neither of those things is going to have any chance of actually uh, getting solved in our lifetimes until we actually address the corruption issue, issue which is what, um, which is what it comes down to, right? Who is our government responsive to? And right now, they're not responsive to us, to their big donors and the special interests who are funding their campaigns. So, I live in, uh, is- oh, I'm sorry. Oops. I'm sorry. When I interrupted, I think your sound cut out. Um, I wanted to let you know that I'm, I, live in Texas and I do have a lot of friends out here that um, do that believe that um, you know there is no way to engage with politics any, anymore I have no say and so all this voting and all the other things that they tell us to do are just 
you know, just a pretense of democracy because of this cor- same corruption that you're speaking of. And so, um, so they've, uh, there are a lot of people who believe that at some point, you know, our government has to basically fail in order for us to start all over again. But you're giving us a, a legal and nonviolent way to actually affect the change despite uh, systemic corruption in Congress. And so that looks like to you, uh, rather than going through Congress, and Congress is the problem, uh, some some other uh, method is getting the states together to hold some sort of convention. Can you tell us more about what the second method is? Yeah, definitely. Well, it goes all the way back to the very beginning, right? When, they, when the founders of this country were in Philadelphia, and they you know, spent that summer debating on what a, what this constitution was going to do and be capable of. And at the end, the very last week, uh, Congress was the only body of government that was going to be able to propose amendments to this constitution. And General George Mason stood up and he said, hey, there's an obvious flaw here. You know, what if Congress itself becomes the problem? What if they become corrupt, tyr- tyrannical, oppressive? You have to give the people another option to amend it otherwise we're stuck right and that's when they um added actually back in to the constitution the state-based route of proposing amendments uh, at the beginning of the summer the state the state-based convention route was actually the only way to propose amendments and then that got taken out and then it was congress and at the end they decided to give us both options so uh, it's, you know, we feel that it's a, a convention, if we were to ever actually have one, would be a very democratic process. At the end of the day, it's only a conversation anyway. Essentially what Congress does every every time they meet, right? They discuss, I mean, they don't have very substantive conversations, but technically that's what they do. They uh, they meet in, in D.C. And, and have discussions. So um, this process was actually used fairly early on. Uh, uh, the history of the Article 5 convention process is very interesting. Uh, the Bill of Rights, right, which a lot of people obviously uh, cherish in this country. Congress initially wasn't going to propose them, and New York and Virginia called for a convention to be able to propose them. And that might not seem like a lot of states, you know, right now, just two states, but back then, uh, it actually was a high percentage. I think it was right around uh, 20% of the states need to call a convention. And right now, Wolfpack has managed to do is get around 15%. So um, that was part of it. I mean, that's just what we're part of what we have to do at Wolfpack is educate people about the history, right? So that was, I mean, is it was it the thing that got them to do it? I mean, you know, there's, there's no way to tell, but it, it's a fact that it was part of the process, right? The founders almost immediately used the Article 5 convention process as a way to respond to a Congress that wasn't proposing amendments that they thought were needed, right? So and that has happened actually throughout our, our history. And another example, probably the one that's the most parallel to this current situation that we find ourselves in, uh, being the, the corruption in D.C., is the 17th Amendment, right? So at the beginning of the 19th uh, or 20th century, uh, early 1900s, the people of this country saw the way that U.S. senators were appointed by the state legislatures as corrupt, right? And it was, in fact, overt corruption. Like you're talking about like bags of cash literally being left at state houses. Right. And, and those appointments being fairly easy to buy off. And the Senate became known as the millionaires club, which, you know, obviously now they're, I think seen both as a millionaires club, but back then that's what it was viewed. Uh, the more corrupt body of, of government on the federal level. 
And the people were fed up with it and they wanted to change that. So what they did was they used every single tool available to them yeah. in the democratic process. They, uh, they, had, they did petitions to, to get an amendment that would give us a, an election of senators rather than the appointment, right? Direct election. And they did uh, state level legislation. They did resolutions asking Congress to propose an amendment. They did ballot referendums. They did protests. They did all of those things actually that are happening right now around campaign finance reform. But it really wasn't until the states came in when all that was happening, the states decided they wanted to take it up a notch, essentially, right? So they started calling for a convention uh, to be able to propose an amendment on that subject, on that topic, direct election of senators. And Nebraska, I believe, was the very first state to do it. And uh, they got all the way to just one state shy of the two-thirds needed to force a convention on that topic. And Congress proposed, ended up proposing the amendment out to the states for ratification. So uh, that's another example. And I, I do think it's parallel because you're dealing with the way that they got elected. And so think about that. You're trying to change the U.S. Senate. People wanted to change how they got there, but that's how they got in power. That's a really which, big ask. Which, which is ironic because, I mean, like, we broke away from a monarchy, but it seems that slowly or since the beginning it just became like an oligarchy became this oligarchy through by proxy i think is that is that a good way to explain an oligarchy by proxy sure yeah and i agree i think we are i think we have unfortunately moved back in towards that direction and it's it's really unfortunate and it was not the plan right i think if the people who set up this country and of course you know they weren't perfect but they definitely tried to give us a government that was responsive to the people. They were very clear about that. Um, and I think if they could travel through time and see present day uh, United States, I think that they would be appalled. I think they would be like, you know, what the hell are you got? What are you doing here? Like this, right. this was definitely not the intention. You've gotten really off course, I think is what they tell no, us. And no, they no. forced this amending process. Yeah. You know, which which reminds you, you know, when they say like like the the Supreme Court ruled through Citizens United, money is speech. That means if you have no money, you have no speech, right? So if you want to yeah, call but- freedom of speech, like that's why we believe in a universal basic income, because right now money equals voice. No money, no voice. We've effectively barred you from having your voice heard because you can't pay, and and your you paying is your speech, whereas your speech is ignored. Actual words coming out of your mouth is ignored, but when you attach those words to a bag full of cash, then they listen to it. Yeah, but it's not just that. Like, if people are in scarcity mindset because they can't pay their bills or because they can't feed themselves, they're going to be more drastic. They can't think logically through problems as easily because their mind is trying to figure out where the next paycheck is going to come from, right? And so, I mean, you you literally lower the IQ of the people trying to make decisions by making them super broke, right? And then, like, you know... uh and then they're too busy running around for the money in the first place to even take the time to go after the corruption in the first place that put them there. You know, uh, we have uh, shows on uh, Netflix called Dirty Money, right? They're like, hey, look, these organizations are huge and they've been screwing you over and uh, wake up like this is what happened. And, and, you know, but we have a fallout from that, right? And maybe you don't have Netflix because you don't have money, right? And you don't even know who's been screwing you over. And maybe you're actually a victim to one of these big businesses that has been doing stuff. 
uh, that has been making you so broke. And we like, it feels impossible to go after corruption these days, you know, and everyone's like, yeah, it's corrupt. Okay. They don't do anything. And it's frustrating because like they feel powerless. So I would like to also welcome, um, is it Kazen, uh, to our, to our podcast? It's hi. Hi. Can you hear me? Hi. Yes. It's Kaizen. So I go by Kai. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you for showing up to our podcast and welcome to, um, to speak with, uh, our special guest today, Mike Moneta. Hopefully we can get you in on Sunday as our special guest. Yeah. That sounds exciting. And if not, I'm around. It's the middle of the pandemic. Where am I going to (laughs) go? Well, I, I can see that you're uh, passionate about some of the same issues we are. And um, Mike has, has been telling us about a different way that people have not really thought about maybe um, recently on how to amend our Constitution in order to uh, reduce the corruption in our government. Now, what I find interesting is uh, the 17th Amendment is one of those examples where you had the states actually um, come together one at a time and ratify their own amendment and and three-fourths of the states had to ratify that amendment in order for us to um, put it on the put it into the constitution as a full amendment now if we had uh, a, a process like that right now right uh, which what would be proposed as the new amendment that would uh, actually you know stem the corruption yeah that's a great question um, so Wolfpack, as an organization, we don't dictate what the amendment has to say. And part of the reason we do that is because we feel that when you are talking about amending the Constitution, you, it, the, the threshold is so high to get ratification, right? You have to have extreme bipartisan support, right? To, I mean, that Three quarters is such a high bar um, that, that we don't dictate the amendment language. But I can tell you what I think is the most likely if whether Congress proposes it or we get to a convention and they debate it. Uh, I think that there are a couple, there are a couple, but I think the one that is going to ultimately end up being ratified is one that states that these, that the Congress and the states have the right to regulate campaigns and ballot measures how they see fit, essentially as they did before some of the Supreme Court cases. Uh, there are people who want, who would like an amendment to go further than that, right? Like, oh, well, you need to get, you know, uh, citizen funded elections, you know, out of it or something like that. Um, you know, I've been doing this for a while now and I just, I, I believe that that I'm just speaking for myself. I believe that's the amendment. Um, that's the, what Senator Udall had proposed in Congress. Um, and that would essentially allow the States to, you know, go back to common sense campaign finance laws. You know, Montana is a, uh, is an example of a state who was affected very early on by corruption and, uh, they had, almost a hundred years of common sense campaign finance laws there that, that would have prevented super PACs and dark money from coming into their state. And when citizens United and some of these other court cases uh, started to happen, uh, the dark money flooded in and the state did not like that. They in fact took it all the way to their Supreme court of Montana. And there's a good movie called dark money about that. And they rejected it. Essentially the state of Montana said, uh, well, we don't accept this court ruling from the Supreme Court. We've had, you know, 100 years of common sense laws here, and we'd like to keep them. And uh, the Supreme Court just threw it out. They wouldn't even hear the case. So they've so ruled what, on that. The Supreme Court, so as it is, is not going to. Democracy dollars. Have you heard of them? Democracy dollars, where it's like every citizen gets, what, like $100 to donate to a campaign of their choice, or I think that's how it goes. What are your thoughts on that? 
Uh, yeah, I think any solution where you're putting power back into the hands of the people rather than the special interest is where we need to go. Right? And for us, you know, we're we're calling for a convention, which is essentially if we ever got there, if Congress refused to propose an amendment, uh, which is, you know, it's possible that they're just simply not going to be willing to address this issue ever, um, then the states can come together and discuss those types of solutions. You know, what what is it? And like I said, maybe it will be something like that, a solution. That's a possibility. But it would have to be ratified by three quarters of the states when you're talking about the Constitution. So um, it's very possible that we pass an amendment that simply says the states can do those types of programs without the Supreme Court basically interfering, right? And saying, no, no, you can't put, you can't do those types of programs because we have to allow super PACs and unlimited amounts of dark money to, to be poured into our elections. Um, so I think they're really interesting. And uh, I think that's, that's certainly the direction that we have to go. And I, I can tell you just one example of a citizen funded election, as it was explained to me, and I, I might not even get this right. A state rep told me this in Connecticut, uh, several years ago, because they're one of the states that has enacted a, a type of citizen-funded election there. And at least when I was there, you know, talking to legislators, they seemed to like it on both sides of the political aisle because they did not have to spend as much time raising money. Which, uh, you know, from my experience, they all hate that. Right? State, state level, federal level, um, nobody likes doing that. It's torture. I've heard con- people in Congress describe it as. So what they had is some a system where essentially you go out and you have to demonstrate like a grassroots support, right? So you have to get a certain number of petition signatures and you have to raise a certain amount of money in smaller dollar donations. So and it's obviously skewed for what office you're running for. So let's say you're running for state senator, you know, whatever, $20,000 in small dollar donations and, you know, a thousand signatures. And if you can do that, then you're eligible for like a pool of money to be able to get your message out there because, you know, you're never really going to be able to get money completely out of politics, right? Which is why uh, a lot of conservative-minded people don't like that phrase because it's, in a literal sense, you, you have to be able to get your message out there. So um, I think that that type of system, you know, works. Okay, so if you can raise, you can hit those markers, then everybody's eligible for, you know, let's say $50,000 to be able to get your, or 100000 whatever it is for your level of office. And then everyone then it becomes more about what are your issues, you know, and you you actually have to go out in your community and, and demonstrate that grassroots support to be able to get those resources. So, um, you know, as it was explained to me, it made sense. I don't know all the details of how that program works, but um, the democracy dollars, like in, I think in Seattle, uh, very interesting ideas and that those are all going in the right direction. I think we are definitely going to get there. You know, in 2020, I, think gonna, I don't think, we, yeah. In but, 2020, sorry. we have a new colorful phrase calling it, uh, Shaking the money tree in the wine cave. <laughs> the politicians yeah. are essentially their that's their wine most cave. important uh, uh, seems to be their most important job wine is cave. to fundraise. And the best fundraisers are the ones that move up, that level up and get to get to become the next level politician and get to win their their uh, races, which is really unfortunate because that doesn't relate whatsoever to actually representing the people. That just relates to representing the the uh, wealthy who are able to contribute more. Yeah, that's, that is really that's the heart of the, the issue, right? Is who they're who they're responsive to, who they're raising money from, who are they talking to? They have to spend, you know, as I'm sure you know, what fifty to seventy percent of their time raising money. They that's one of the first things that happens when you come into Congress is they give you a list, right, and they grade you on how well you fundraise. I mean, this is one of the most amazing things that it's amazing, but it's, it's really disturbing 
but they're giving committee chairs away to people who fundraise the most, right? And the, uh, the Swamp, I think, is a documentary that recently came out on HBO. Uh, features like Larry Lessig, but it also features um, some others in Congress who talk about how it actually is there. And um, it used to be that if you're a committee chair, it's because you have experience, right, on, on that issue. You, you've lived it. You've lived your life in that uh, in that sphere. And you're the most educated. So obviously, you should get a chairmanship for that, Right. But not anymore. Now it's if you can raise the most money, you're rewarded with getting the chair of a committee. And that kind of a system is insane, right? And that's exactly what we absolutely have to there's change. We have quite, to change the There's quite a big disconnect between knowing how to get money and knowing how to fix a problem, right? Like those are two different skill sets that are not related at all. And if, if raising money is the best thing you can do, I mean, and then you're already friends with all the people with money, like that – is a big problem, you know, and, and we need, we need experts. We need people who have studied things. We need journalism. We need investigations and studies. And like, we don't have that kind of thing. These are the people that should probably like, at least be considered more so. Right. But they probably might even be socially awkward. Okay. That happens. You know, people who are good with money are probably really good at talking. Right. Um, but like, they're really to, good to, at smoozing. Yeah, <laughs> it's beyond talking. Um, we're good at talking here at the podcast. We're good, yeah, we're good. We're good at talking. It's 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 really because um you know a lot of these high powered politicians or a lot of these high powered elites they just uh, what's the word I'm looking for they they uh, complement each other and they they suck up to each other as a way to feed into their narcissism and ego. And that's how, like, it works. Oh, you said this nice thing about me. I'm going to give you this much cash. You supported that this thing that I have. It's like this narcissistic, ego-driven cesspool. While there are people on the other side, like the towns that Faye is in, like Fort Deposit, that are like, their buildings are dying. Their infrastructure is crumbling. And we have this whole other side of people who just turn a blind eye to that. And they just shake each other's hands and open up the wine bottles. And the word you're looking for is circle jerk. Circle jerk <laughs> is the word. Yeah, it's it's basically a circle jerk of like high powered elites and their you know helpers. But we've got it has okay. To stop. I really liked the Seventeenth Amendment as an example of something of a, something that we may be able to accomplish, um, and it could be uh, any number of different. Uh, types of amendments that we we may be considering together as a country. But uh, according to this uh, information from archives.gov, okay, that I just, I put it in the, as a link in our um, live stream chat. Um, it says that the, the process of the 17th Amendment started in 1826 as a House resolution. And then over a period of, of almost a, a, a century, right, various things happened, one of which was, probably one of the most important things to have happened was a convention. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about how do we actually, you know, this yeah. seems like a very long process. We may be in it for a hundred years. Do we have a hundred years? You know, so how do we get this convention right. to happen? Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, thanks for bringing that up because I guess I, sh I should point that out more that it actually was a really long battle and 
you know, I think it was in the early 1900s when they when the states first started calling for a convention to be able to propose that amendment. So how it works is it's just a simple resolution. It's an application that a state legislature would pass. So like for Wolfpack, our, the first state that we passed was Vermont. Just give you an example. Um, I was working up there with some state legislators. Uh, we had some volunteers on the ground, some farmers in Vermont went and talked to uh, you know, state senators, state reps about our resolution. And Vermont had already asked Congress to propose an amendment to fix this issue, right, of big money and special interest in our, in our politics. And, co- and Congress, of course, just ignored them. So when we went back and we said, hey, let's, let's, go, let's take this a, up a notch, basically, right? Let's give this some teeth and basically say, okay, well, we're kind of, we're done waiting for you, Congress. We're going to take matters into our own hands and we're going to get this done at the state level. So what the application essentially does is it's, it, it applies. It's an official application, you know, in this case from the state of Vermont, uh, saying we're applying for a convention under Article 5 for the purpose of addressing, you know, for the exclusive purpose of addressing this issue of big money in politics, you know, and special interest controlling our government. And uh, when 34 states, two-thirds, apply for a convention on the same topic, then at that point, if Congress hasn't proposed an amendment, it a convention essentially must be held according to the constitution so it's it would be congress's job to essentially pick a time and a place you know they could say okay the convention is going to be in you know uh st louis and it's going to be from you know july 1st to august 31st this is going to be the topic and uh you know this is how uh this is how it's going to work and so again we've never gotten that far right we've gotten close to a convention we've gotten uh close to 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 two-thirds needed to force a convention on a certain topic and congress capitulated and the reason that we know that the calls need to be on the same subject which is a question that comes up is because right now uh since our founding the states have passed over 400 applications uh for a convention on all kinds of different issues uh from 49 of the 50 states um, the best we can see, Hawaii is the only state that's never called for a convention for any reason. Uh, we're working on that. Uh, we're working pretty hard on that, actually. But um, so if you, you know, if you could take, you know, 10 applications from issue A and four applications from issue B and 20 applications from issue C and count them all together, say, hey, we've got 34 here, two thirds to have a convention. Congress would have had to do that 100 years ago. Right. But they haven't. Because there's never been, you know, when you're talking about a man in the Constitution, there needs to be a reason. Right? There needs to be a mandate. And this process has been, if anybody really wants to get into it, uh, this process has been studied extensively by the Department of Justice under Jimmy Carter and under Ronald Reagan. Uh, under the American Bar Association has done an extensive report, a several year report. The Congressional Research Service has released four reports on it. And they all conclude that the states do have the power to call a convention for a limited purpose, and that's how it's been interpreted since since the founding, uh, so, and that there are multiple checks in place to keep those limitations, uh, you know, in in place. I have a question, and it might seem like a silly one, but um, okay, I'm just going to be transparent. I didn't care about politics until I heard about Andrew Yang. Okay, so I've been on a steep learning curve for everything. Now, when we say the states, does that mean we need the governors to do this? What if all the governors are corrupt and we don't trust our governors? Like, I have issues with this. It was one of the first questions that we asked, actually, um, when we started doing this. And the answer is no, actually, because these applications have always been resolutions, not bills. Uh, they do not require governor's signature at all. So Vermont one went into effect immediately when the legislature passed it. 
And then the same thing in California. California was the second state, and then Illinois, and then New Jersey, and then Rhode Island was the most recent state to pass uh, our, our uh, application for a convention. So, but, I mean, great question, because that would be a challenge. This is probably like the highest probability chance of actually making change, though. Is that what you're saying? Like, this is probably the biggest way any change is going to be made. Well, yeah. And I, to your point earlier, uh, Faye, I actually meant to, to follow up because I think you made a really good point talking about how people are pretty beaten down these days, right? Like, they, there's a lot of apathy for good reason, right? They, they don't follow politics. They don't even bother to vote a decent percentage of our country. Um, and you know, I, we can't blame them necessarily because they are, it is a, it is a broken system, right? And there's not a whole lot to get excited about. And cause their voice, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning is not being represented. It's just, and that's proven through data. So, um, one of the reasons why I initially volunteered for Wolfpack is because I, it just kind of made sense to me. And, uh, even when I was learning about politics initially and how bad it was and the corruption, uh, I didn't. And I heard about plenty of other plans, but I didn't volunteer for them. And because I, you know, I think we're all too busy, right? When you decide to give your time, uh, you know, or resources to a movement or an organization, it's it's a lot. It's a big. It's a big ask. Um, so uh, what I found is that when you when I explain or anyone, you know, Wolfpack explains our plan to other citizens or legislators, they do become a little bit hopeful. I've you know I've seen it over and over again. Like, wow, maybe there is a way to actually do this that makes sense that we can, you know, that we can, we can actually do this. And for us, it's a matter of like just stepping back and kind of breaking a couple things down. Right. And one is when you're, once you realize that this problem is so systemic, right, that, that an amendment is actually needed. And even if it is just one that simply says, Hey, the States and Congress can, can regulate their own campaigns. Um, that's like a base level thing that needs to happen. Right. We need to amend our constitution. There's no, there's no question about it at this point. There's, there's groups like Represent Us that does really good work at the state level. Uh, you know, we definitely consider them an ally in the movement. Um, but their, you know, their work needs to be complemented with an amendment that protects it. So what if, when you realize that, yeah. Um. Uh, what? Wh- how, how many of these states do you need for something to happen? All fifty. Or is it so, like so for the convention? It's two thirds, so thirty-four. Thirty-four states. Okay, and and uh, what like what like how how do you introduce yourself to these states? Um, so yeah, they know. Great question. Yeah, really good question. Um, so yeah, let me just I'll just finish my last thought and then I'll 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 tie it into to that question because that, that's relevant. Um, once you realize you need an amendment, it's just a very simple equation, right? There's only two ways to do it. One is through Congress, but they're literally the source of the problem in this case. So it's a huge ask and possibly unrealistic. Um, and by the way, try to get a meeting with a congressperson, right? Like it's really hard, right? Maybe if you have $10,000 sitting around, you can do it. But, you, you know, you can – I've tried. You get a forum letter back saying thank you for your opinion, you know, whatever. Um, maybe you can meet with staff. But getting a, an actual meeting to sit down and talk with your U.S. representative in Congress is nearly impossible. Today. We've had two congressmen um, come on to our show. Uh, congressman yeah, Tim Ryan Ro, and Ro Khanna. Uh, yeah, so like, um, if we have the opportunity to get congressmen on our show and have these conversations for a prolonged amount of time, like, how could we better use that power to help fight corruption like this? 
Yeah, good question too. Well, you guys are, are, are on point. Um, Ro Kana uh, is, you know, obviously someone who's represents the people well. So that's that's cool. He's he's come on. Uh, I would say the the number one thing is to we need to start pushing for this amendment. Right? You want to call it the Twenty Eighth Amendment, right? For for free and fair elections, or you know, however you want to um, word it. By the way, we're working on that too. Maybe just a more concise tagline. But right now, it's Twentieth Amendment. This is what we need. And they can talk about it uh, in a way where where they're endorsing all paths, right? So the the thing is, you know, we can do everything. Like I said, the Seventeenth Amendment, they they were using everything. They were doing protests and ballot measures and all that, all the things that are happening. You can't leave out the one thing that has the most teeth, right? Which is the convention call, because that has consequences for Congress if they don't act, right? The states are going to come together and they're going to get it done without them. Um, so it would be that it would be like, just talk about it with them and say, Hey, you know, what about this? You know, what about this amendment? How are we going to do it? Are you guys capable of doing it in Congress? And, you know, and he may laugh or he may say, no, I think, I think there is a path here. Or most likely what he'll say is, yeah, I think we can, but pressure from the States is helpful. And that's what Patrick Leahy said when we passed, uh, Vermont, right? He had had the Udall amendment, which deals with this issue in his hearing or in his committee for quite a long time without hearings. And someone asked him why now? And he did cite the fact that Vermont had called for a convention a few weeks prior as to one of the reasons he felt the urgency, right? So we passed one little application in the small little state of Vermont, and you already see Congress have hearings, right? So imagine if 10, 15, 20, 25 states are calling for a convention on this issue, on this topic. You're going to see some major movement from Congress. I really believe that. And um, But, you know, we're at five, and we've gotten stopped from, quite honestly, just propaganda around this convention process. And, you know, I can't happy to get to that because that's a, a, a kind of a larger conversation too, but I'll just, I'm just going to wrap it up with um, kind of addressing like what you, what you mentioned as far as like the process and what you do is you look up, you know, what we convince our, or convince we teach, you know, our new volunteers to do is to take that first step, right? Uh, take that first action item, which is to get to know who your state rep is and your state Senator. Because those are the people in our theory of change here. Those are the only people who can get this done, right? If you're, I mean, go and sure, you can try to get people in Congress. But if you're talking about like, how can I enact this change in a realistic way? It is going to your state reps and state senators and saying, hey, um, you know, can we set up a meeting? Right now it would be set up a Zoom meeting. We used to encourage people to go to state houses to meet with them or at coffee shops. You will be astonished at the rate of response you get from state legislators. And, you know, if you are a constituent, they are highly responsive to you. And, um, you know, depending on who they are, it might take you a little bit of persistence, right? I mean, they're not all going to be anxious to meet with you. Not mine. But overall, <laughs> yeah, you haven't? No, I have Lance Gooden, who is, I feel, extremely racist because he he was the one that uh, introduced an act uh, for to uh, basically blame China for the coronavirus. <laughs> That was his, and so I don't see him meeting with me whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, well, like I said, it's not. Um, but but tell me though, is he at the state level or is he at the federal level? Um, yeah, he's at the federal level. He represents me in in my U.S. Congress. So, yeah. Yeah. So there's. I mean, it's hard, and but I would say try meeting with your state rep at local okay. level that actually has an <laughs> office probably in your town or the town next to you. And, and see what their response is to this issue, right? Because um, from my, I mean, I, and I'll just give my own personal experience as a volunteer, you know, I started as a volunteer. 
um, I was terrified to call it my state rep. You know, I, I knew Wolfpack's plan. It made sense to me. I understood it. But like, remember sitting there thinking like, who am I to call like a state elected official, right? And tell them about, you know, what they should do. And it changed my perception completely because they, they didn't know that this avenue even existed, right? They didn't know that they had this power as a state elected official to do something dealing with the constitution. And it was an hour long conversation. By the end of it, they were like, this is great. I'll support this. And, you know, that was my kind of a turning point and, and my, I guess, activism, right? And a lot of our volunteers, I would say the vast majority of our volunteers have had a similar experience, right? Where they go and meet with their rep at a coffee shop or whatever uh, at the local level. And they're just like amazed at how easy they are to talk to, you know, responsive. So for me, if you want to have hope about we can, that we can actually change this on a constitutional level, it is right there in front of us right now at the state level. And one thing that we talk about at Wolfpack is a bottom line, right? And one is urgency. Like we are running out of time, actually. Like, you know, if you, if you, if you want to talk about the, the, just the climate as an example, um, if we have to change our corrupt system first before we can fix that, which a lot of people think that we do, then we really got to act fast because we got to change the system. Then we got to elect, get elected officials in there who are not responsive to Exxon Mobil, et cetera. And then we have to change the, the system. So, we almost have to build something parallel to it, in my opinion. I think we have to build some stuff that uh, just screw everything. And, like, we can make money on our own on the side and use it the way we need to. We can build tiers to uh, combat the thing. Honestly, I think we need to build something we can step into, right? Uh, instead of trying to fix this broken shit, like we need to have something better and, um, and by the people grassroots, you know, like from the ground up and, you know, we, we keep trying to push these ideas, but, you know, like it almost feels like that's the only way to do it is to build it ourselves, you know? They have this system that was supposedly working, but we invented that system too, right? Like, why can't we invent something new and better? And, you know, a lot of it is like that urgency and it's like the money and the laws and it getting shut down. And, okay, if that's the problem, we need to evolve the system so we can do this kind of stuff on the side, right? Like, as well. Um, It's important to note, it's like, how do we put in the spotlight people who are actually working for the people and give them like honors. And at the same time, look at those people who, who are putting this corruptive influence in and we target and we say like, this is what their plans are and they're not good for you. And they're poisoning our system. I think if, if we can, we can have that, that kind of dynamic. The unfortunately thing is, is that we look to our watchdogs as in, like, you know, our news and our media, but some of those watchdogs have become lapdogs. That's what the whole thing is with, like, independent media. So it really has to be like this from the from the ground up. So I think whoever you are talking to as an independent media source, give us, you know, their contacts as well so we can create a network to battle all this uh, corruption. Well, I also want to point out, like, you know, is if if you have anything in your life, is it nourishing you or is it poisoning you, right? If we were a plant, a society of a garden, beautiful, okay, and, and oil spills all over and kills everything, including the wildlife, 
do we think, yeah, that's a good thing we should definitely, you know, do something about? Or should we get teams of people to come in and, you know, help clean that up, but also do something different because that wasn't working, right? Like, we need to have people who know how to garden, right? And people who understand the soil and who can help replenish the things that have been like deteriorating because of some kind of, you know, accident or whatever. I mean, there are things that are inevitable. Like even if you think about like, um, let's talk about, uh, you know, maybe a hurricane. Okay. That comes and decimates the whole area. Right. But it's inevitable. Right. And, and so we don't have systems in place that actually uh, help it, right? We have like FEMA, right? Well, I met someone from uh, who experienced having to work with FEMA and they're like, I didn't like it. It was really toxic to their life, right? And so we don't even have people who uh, like create these programs experience the programs that they've created, like the food stamps or, or the welfare or the, it doesn't matter, right? Like there's so many people who are not experiencing what they created and I think it's right. You know, there's no um, checks and balances. There's no accountability. Uh, yeah, accountability. that's the word I was thinking zero about. Accountability, right? And just now, um, at least you know, Bernie Sanders and Josh Josh Hawley from Missouri were talking about the uh, twelve hundred dollar stimulus checks, and then um, Ron Johnson, I think, which was the senator from Wisconsin, said that no, no, it'll just boom the national debt, and I don't think it's a good idea. It's like can we take your salary away from you and just like, so we don't use that money and that money can kind of like not go to the national debt instead, instead of you depriving the people who actually need it. Why don't you let go of your set? You, you know, like, because, because the decisions they make affect other people's lives in these negative, dark ways. They never see the consequences of that. And that's, that's like, like a recipe for disaster when you hold power unaccountable like that and and when power is far from the consequences of the decisions that they're making. Yeah, it's terrible. And also, um, I hope you don't mind, while, while we've been talking and everyone was asking their questions and, and making comments, I looked up my representatives in the Texas House of Representatives uh, so I have a senator who is District 3, my Senate District 3, um, and I also have a representative, and I know who they are now, and I know how to contact them. Now, supposing I were to go ahead and contact them and uh, sit, actually get a meeting and do this sit-down that you're talking about. Now, if I were to sit down with them, would I refer them to Wolfpack? Because I personally don't know, you know, I'm just a citizen. I would like them to work together with Wolfpack, or what would I say to them, you know? Yeah, well, essentially, if I mean, if that's what you wanted to talk to them about, you know, we can give you some guidance there. We can show you what our, you know, our model legislation looks like. I, I, most of them are familiar with us at this point. Um, we've had, we've got some of our best volunteers there, and uh, I can tell you kind of a funny story about uh, first. Actually, at the very first Wolfpack resolution was introduced in Texas. Believe it or not, um, way back in God, maybe twenty thirteen, maybe, and. Todd Jagger, who's one of our best uh, volunteers in the whole country, uh, when he actually got his rep, his state rep, uh, to go have a beer with him, I believe. And I think they met up and they were just, you know, chatting about politics. And and uh, at the end, or somewhere in the conversation, the state rep goes, okay, well, you know, look, uh, 
I, I want to support you here, but I'm just not sure people are that crazy about saving wolves. <laughs> and uh, Todd was like, no, 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 we're not about saving wolves. We're saving the Republic. <laughs> and the guy was like, oh, great. I'm on board. <laughs> and uh, and so he introduced it and he introduced our legislation. Right. So um, I found that this is a very easy so, thing to talk to people about. You know, number you one. I have to find somebody who drinks beer to come with me. I got it. Okay, number two, continue. <laughs> it actually does help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It definitely helps. Uh, some of my experience over the years, yeah. So has the resolution been already, um, you're saying the resolution has already been passed in Texas, so we don't need to continue working in Texas, maybe some other states? No, it does, actually. It needs to be passed there. Uh, it's legislative process is tough. <laughs> uh, I, you know, this is a huge battle that we're taking on, you know, dealing with the constitution and, um, you know, I guess to face, to face point, um, you know, we should be doing everything right. It's not, it's not, if we're only looking at legislative solutions or constitutional solutions, um, that's not great either. Right. We should be doing everything. Our, if you, if you are interested in, you know, taking on the big fight, which is the constitution of the United States, then that's what we are. You know, I mean, this is just our one sort of piece to the whole larger picture. Um, people who come to Wolfpack really want to do that part of it. They want to be part of amending the U S constitution. And um, so, no, you know, when you, so what happens is you, you meet with your legislators and you try to find somebody who wants to put their name on it, who's willing to say, I'm going to file this. I'm going to be a sponsor. Right. And every state legislature has different rules about how they operate. Uh, so some will allow you to have like multiple people who are main sponsors. Uh, most state legislatures, you'll have like one or two main sponsors or one main sponsor and then like an unlimited amount of co-sponsors usually. So if you can get one person to sponsor it, they you can usually go and get like 30 other allies, you know, to come and co-sponsor it with them. If you can get a piece of legislation that has uh, a good balance between Republicans and Democrats, you are you're doing good work. Right. And that is a challenge. We've been able to do that. I think in the campaign finance reform space, we've been do, able to do that as good as, if not better than any organization in the country. Uh, we've had hundreds of, you know, Democrats and Republicans support us and be our champions. Just this last year, we were actually introduced by a very well-respected Republican in the Tennessee House. It got us through two committees. So you have to go to committee, then you have to get the votes on that committee. And then a lot of times you have to go to a second committee you have to get the votes on that committee. Then you have to go to a House floor vote. Then you have to get them to pass it through the House. Then you get go over to the other chamber, right? And then you have to pass through a committee there, and then maybe another committee there, and then uh, an entire Senate floor vote. And if you can pass both of those chambers, then you have effectively passed that state, right? Which we've done that five times now. But we've passed in like one chamber in God, I don't even dozens of states. You know, we've come really, really close in so many others. Um. But, uh, yeah, it's a challenge, you know, and it's, it's definitely have you to be said, able to be to stick it out. Because I'm in California. Uh, California has already done it. California was the second state to call for a convention on this issue. Yeah. Okay. So so once that, then, then um, so my state representatives have already gone through the process. Yeah. If you're a volunteer and, you, you know, you want to be part of Wolfpack and you live in California, uh, we've got lots of other things going on where, where you can be part of us we have uh we call it the wolf ops states are kind of our our wolf uh special secret secret team of people in those states that have already passed and that uh mostly makes up like our communications team which is like a powerhouse in wolf pack right now like graphic designers and writers 
and you know tech people and just a whole different sort of just department within Wolfpack that complements. It's going to help us pass in all these other states. And we also have used that Wolf Ops state, the, the Wolf Ops team, uh, to do like phone banking, right? So when we were in, uh, I'll just give you an example in Vermont. And when we, you know, by the way, look, people can look at Vermont and say, oh yeah, that was easy, right? Vermont, of course, they're going to pass it, right? No way. Uh, it was an, it was a huge battle and, um, you know, we had to really fight to get that legislation passed. And one of the things we did was we had actually a chairman who was against the convention, by the way, uh, had been outspoken against the convention me- method for 20 years in the, in the, the Senate of Vermont. And so they laughed at us when me and another, uh, Wolfpack, uh, person went up there first, talked to the Senate president's office. They said, yeah, you guys aren't pass Vermont. You're not even getting going to get a committee here and get out of here. And um, so we sat down with the chair, this person, Dick Sears, Senator Sears, and we explained to him our plan. And honestly, I didn't think we affected him at all. Uh, he, he didn't seem to show that much interest. But we, so we left and we we're just like, ah, you know, what should we do now? Should we just leave and go to another state? Um, and we were actually at a bar that night, the Three Penny Tavern, which has become like a place of lore for Wolfpack now. Because uh, Vermont, Montpelier is one of those states where, like, there's it's a tiny little mountain town, and they all all the legislators go to this one little tavern, right, Three Penny Tavern, and it's an amazing place, and it ended up being an amazing place for Wolfpack. I was even snowed in there one time with the governor in a blizzard. I was just like <laughs> drinking with the governor. I mean, that's the kind of state that Vermont is, right? Um, but we were in there that second day, and the the same staffer to the Senate president came over to us at our table and was like. I don't know what the hell you guys said to Senator Sears today, but he came into our office like, you know, like basically spouting all of your talking points, saying this is something that we actually should think about doing. And uh, so, yeah. So for me, I was just drinking the correct beverage in the right location is very important. Like finding the correct wine cave or tavern. uh, (laughs) We got a a question from Jeremy. Hang on on our uh, YouTube. and, And he also works in this show. Uh, can you talk about the pushback that you've received and what happened with yep. that, like a common cause, right? Yeah, well, that's a fun one. <laughs> um, so, yes, look, we it's been years since we passed our last state, and it is because of uh, pushback that the convention process is just something we should ignore. Like, we, sh- we should just ignore that part of the Constitution. Um, if we have a convention, the whole Constitution is going to be up for grabs, and um, it's going to be a free-for-all and you know it's it's just too it's too dangerous so uh that has been a really big challenge for us and yes common cause uh you know i know they do a lot of good work so i don't you know i don't like to talk poorly of any other organizations but in this space if i'm being honest they've done a lot of damage uh in the campaign finance reform movement and they are in our opinion they are spreading a lot of propaganda about the convention process they're not being honest and uh, they're quoting people like Lawrence Tribe. They've got like 200 organizations to sign a letter saying we're not going to support the convention for any topic. Um, and they, when in Why that initial report. Wow. How, how can they call their names? How can they have the name Common Cause? And they're saying we're not going to get together. They have people sign things that we're not going to get together to do something. Yeah, it's been it's been unfortunate, and they've used they've actually used their paid lobbyists to kill our legislation in many states. We'd we'd be up to ten or twelve right now if it wasn't for them, most likely. How, so, how could credit we to them for being effective. Their, how could we address their fears in a way to like you know like 
this is the criteria you're worried about. How do we address that um, issue? Well, you know, we've tried, and that's one of the reasons why we want to do a film, actually, because when you start getting into all the history and the details about the convention process, it's kind of exhausting. Um, so that was initially why we decided to make, we were going to make our own film, right? So we raised 60000 on the Indiegogo campaign, and then the story got, our film got picked up by a director, Tom Donahue, who is, uh, you should check out his work. He's, he did like um, Casting By, which is, I think, one of the coolest documentaries ever, um, and some other really good ones. So it's, like What's I told you at the beginning, that's been a, their company is Creative Chaos, and they've done, they did, um, This Changes Everything. They just did about gender inequality in Hollywood with Gina Davis that came out this past year, um, or this year, actually, in 2020. And so, so our, the film has been delayed just because, you know, production got delayed this year with, with filming and everything. But um, I think it's going to be really good. I think they're, they're genuinely interested in the topic. They, they're, uh, you know, they're, they've been great. Um, but we do need to make our own. And I think you had said at the beginning, right? But you need to just kind of make your own and be a little more creative about it, which is why I think what we're going to do. And my, actually my focus over the holiday break when I don't have as many meetings and stuff, I can focus on that. Um, but it is a little bit on us to make our case better. I, you know, we can take responsibility for that. Um, but the one thing that I have said to them, and I will say to anyone who has any questions about the convention process whatsoever, is to just take five minutes and just Google Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution. Because although, yes, it's vague on exactly how it would operate, you know, and all that, it is crystal clear on the power it would have, right, which is only the power to propose, the exact same power that Congress has any time that they get together in D.C., right? So um, that's that's the bottom line for us. A convention is only a conversation. States can come together. Uh, and, you know, like these reports point out, if, if we actually have a convention, first of all, it's going to be one of the biggest stories of our lifetime, right? It would be the first one since 1776. Um, and people will be paying attention. And I think people will be extremely hopeful. I hope it happens. Um, I hope Congress doesn't propose them, and they allow us to to have this convention, right? I think so the people who goes, who goes to the convention. I'm sorry, could like a U.S. citizen yeah. that's just average Joe go to this convention? So, I mean, that's this is one of the reasons why um, you know the Common Cause is will say that they're against it, right? Is because we don't know all of these things. But what we what we put in our legislation is, uh, you know, if we're going to get a convention, if it happens. The delegates uh, cannot be members of Congress, past or present, because that would obviously <laughs> defeat the whole purpose. And it has to be either um, election, and like it would likely be U.S. congressional districts, or um, elected officials at either the, lo the local and uh, state level. So those are the two. Out that's what we outline in our legislation. So if we were to get to thirty-four on our issue, it would it would likely be one of those two options, but. The fact is, uh, Congress is going to have to ultimately make that determination, you know, if they actually call a convention. And I think that that's probably one of the flaws of the Constitution, right, is that they um, that they did give Congress the Congress this power. And uh, so, you know, according to the way Article five is written, Congress needs to call the convention at two thirds. So, um, you know, without going into too many of the details, this is all in all of these reports that, you know, the DOJ and Congressional Research Service, American Bar Association, they point out. That if we got to that point, if Congress said, okay, we're not going to fix this problem, right? Which is, again, like it's for me, it's a little bit hard to picture that, right? Like, let's just say we get to 33 states, right? And we do need one more to the 34 on our issue. And can you guys like see Congress 
or let's say we get all the way to 34. Can, can you see them like saying, oh, no, we got this. We can figure out what the best amendment is on this issue ourselves, which is there, there's already been like 10 proposed, right? Different versions of it. Or are they going to say, OK, yeah, we just can't address this. We're going to we're going to have this convention. We're going to we're going to let the states tackle this one. Right. I just I think it's a flaw. One hundred percent. They will how- say what will keep them in control. They will never yeah, say, let's let the states decide. And why would yeah. they? Where is their motive to? Where is their systemic motivation yeah. to do that? Wait, um, we got another question. Against their careers. Guys, Why would they? We got another question. Um, in your opinion, have elected justice Democrats lived up to expectations? Justice Democrats. I'll be honest. I don't. It's a hard one to answer. Uh, nah. In, I, I no. think in some sense, uh, in some sense, yes, actually. Um, if they are, but I may not look. I'll be honest. Like I don't actually follow uh, federal politics all that closely. Um, people assume that, like my friends and family, they're always asking me about stuff that's you know happening in the news as far as like Washington politics, and I'm just really invested in Wolfpack in the state level. Like I, I can tell you who the Speaker of the House is in probably 25, 30 different states. I know actually probably know 20 of them. Um, I'm just very, very invested at this at this at this plan, and I I work seven days a week usually. You know, um, I I need to try to fix that. But so the honest Thank truth you is, for I just spending don't, I some of your time follow. with us. <laughs> Yeah, of course. No, no. I mean, do, doing stuff like this is, is awesome. But I think like, you know, I, I've heard that they are, uh, you know, at least starting to form some like a PACs and potentially starting to block stuff saying, if you don't do this, then, you know, we're not going to vote with you on this. But I don't know to the extent that they're doing that. So, um, so, so I'm really not sure. The honest answer is I'm not sure. I wanted to um, go back to where we were talking about how um, – you know, Congress is not going to let the states run this convention because they're going to make themselves artificially important as they do all the time, uh, especially right now with this whole cash stimulus thing. Now, the stimulus, we want them to have a recurrent stimulus, right? Because the point of the stimulus is to give people peace of mind. And you can't have a budget if you get a single check, right? If you know that a check is coming every month, you can budget around that. You can have some sort of security. Okay, this is what we can actually afford. But if you can just get one and then you don't know when the next one is coming, you're basically still living in that scarcity mindset and constantly uh, worried about, you know, how is the next, you know, how am I going to get that next amount? So um, we feel like uh, Congress is making themselves incredibly important uh, just because they won't give it out as a, they won't stipulate like let's just start it now and then at some point it will end and what are the conditions at which you know this will end so instead they're just going to make us you know wait every single time <laughs> then they have to discuss it all over again as if it was a whole new issue that they had never considered before um, and yeah. so we're wondering like if could could we actually have uh, there's no chance that Congress would vote for this but could we somehow force Congress to um, ask us for their paychecks every month, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, if you haven't uh, done your job this month, we get a little review and say, "Hey, you haven't met. You know, you haven't even convened, or you haven't done whatever it is you needed to do this month. We don't want to give you that check." Wouldn't that be a great yeah. amendment? <laughs> yeah. Well, start pushing it. Start start the movement. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I think though the stimulus really does point out, unfortunately, right? Like just how bad it is. I mean, they're just completely dysfunctional, like just incapable of coming together and coming up with solutions that actually benefit the American people. I mean, you're going to have another one. I have an even better one. You're going to, 
Okay, go ahead. Supposing, okay, supposing they don't, supposing Congress, right, doesn't pass the budget, which they have multiple times not done, and multiple different Congresses with different members and all this, when they don't pass the budget on time, and then everybody else goes, the government employees, right? Shouldn't there be an automatic clause where, you know, if, if employees are not getting paid in the federal government, and you haven't passed a budget, then you haven't done your job. So we just have you all fired and we start all over again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, you know, like everybody gets can, fired and lot, we just start yeah. all over. Yeah, well, there's a lot of great solutions. Right? <laughs> um, I mean, there are so many different things we could do, right, to make our government work better. I, that's yeah, that's creative. I mean, I like it. <laughs> uh, I And I just think that. um yeah, it's been unfortunate just to see the way that they reacted to the stimulus. I mean, how can you say that, you know, almost, what, a third of the country cannot go to work, but we're going to give you like a grant? <laughs> like on what planet, you know, is that coherent, right? I mean, it's just, and then you're, you're going to continue to give uh, millions of dollars to companies that, uh, you know, that don't, that don't need it when you're only going to give us a thousand dollars, you know, to the people like I'm a huge Tom Brady fan. <laughs> And a Patriots fan, you know, lifelong. But like, you know, I've seen articles of like where they're getting, you know, his companies are getting tons. Um, doing pretty well, and they're going to make it. Uh, I think it just shows you that yes, they are, are not really a big interest. The fact that they only did it once is so. Also, you know, there's it doesn't represent the people. You know, you 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 really do need uh, a government that going to think about. Oh, this legal route, which seems to, you know, you're making it sound extremely positive and pleasant, <laughs> but, you know, very, very long. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, <laughs> but, right? Yeah. But, uh, but if, you, if you go the other route, there is another route, and it's violent, and a lot of the poor people who are barely making it right now are going to be the first people to suffer, uh, in, you know, if the government does collapse in some way, and, uh, you know... I just don't know. Like, I feel yeah. like if you're not out there doing this, then we really don't have a good option. We just, all we have is, yeah. you know, wait for the government to fail. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say, yeah. I'm going to have to pause probably my video just for a second to get up my power cord. But um, I'll just tell you a really quick story that, that ties into what you just said. And, and when, when I was in Vermont listening to the debate about our resolution, it was fascinating, actually. It was one of the last ones they did of the year. It was, I think it went from like 10 p.m. to like midnight or something. And I think there's a storm outside. It was like pretty cool, honestly. And they were debating the Constitution. There were people on both sides. There were people saying, this is too risky. We can't do it. And there were people saying, we have to do this, right? And the, the one of the ones that stood out to me the most was this rep that stood up on the, the Vermont House floor and was like, well, I'm going to vote for this because I don't want it to come to pitchforks. You know, and that's it. Simple as that. You know, yeah, people are getting pissed. And it's this not- is a nonviolent constitutional avenue that we can take. My fear yeah. is that... That, that the hubris of Congress right knows no bounds and that nothing can make them like afraid for, you know? Oh, let's give them a moment to come back. Well, it's not it's not going to be just pitchforks in rural Texas. Yeah. It's going to be all the guns. All the guns are coming because we have militias that are formed around the idea that they're going to save us when the government yeah. collapses. I mean, but then yeah, maybe feel, we will need the militias. Who knows? <laughs> But I don't feel confident in the if we're, if we were to come to this militia, you know, militia uh, uh, suddenly taking over the country again, uh, and then starting you know from scratch, that we're actually kind of come together and make a better constitution. 
We're not yeah, going to necessarily so going to create a better union. At it's it's going to, in, instead of MAGA, it'll be MAMA, Make America Militia again. <laughs> I, just don't, I feel like we're not prepared, you know, to actually make a better union at the end of any sort of violence. And so maybe a clean break is is the best we can hope for, huh? <laughs> like, uh, okay, people often talk about the framers and about how yeah. what geniuses they were and how they've gotten us through what two hundred nah. years. And I'm like, two hundred years with how many amendments? We never talk yeah, about exactly. the amendments. And also, two hundred years is just such a small amount of time uh, when you're talking about. Especially talking to someone from China, from China, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and we're like talking about five thousand continuous written history that is unbroken, and so it's like uh, you know we're talking about a, a, an amount of time that is just so small on the on the on the scale of humanity. And yet everybody seems to, to like uh, de- deify the founders, and this is the whole like deifying of American history is like oh the first time of freedom and our guns and like what would we ever do without these you know wonderful godlike people who sent our freedoms to us and we can't touch the guns shut up things change people change technology changes things it's like ugh I would even argue that yeah they were definitely imperfect people but I think it's, there's a real argument to me that Article 5 is the most important thing that they gave us, actually. The ability to change that document. They could have just said, <clears throat> you know, hey, we know what's best. And this is it. This is the document that this country is going to live by. But they didn't. They gave us a way to be able to adapt. And they, he gave us, in fact, two ways, right? They gave us, in case one of our foundations of government becomes corrupt, they gave us a second way. <clears throat> so They didn't uh, even talk about technology as it is today, the- right? They- it's like one, but but the oh, one that's... piece of government that's corrupt can like like the corruption can have like a like bounce around because the the Trump became the president and he kind of like corrupted the Re- Republican Party a bit and then we had we seen like a corrupt people in Congress and the corrupt people in Senate and then they got together. And they could have corrupted the judiciary with these like forced appointments. So, so the the corruption is having like a feedback loop through all the branches, and then and then branching out to our news because then they they like corrupt each other. So it's like it's like a corruption feedback loop that we have to throw a monkey wrench in. <laughs> well, uh, Mike, uh, you are having some problems with your camera. Oh. Could you try uh, turning it off and on, or it's all something? good now? All I need. Oh, is it is it not showing up now? Not showing up. Just close it for a second and then put it back on. Okay, it might be. It might be leave action, but yeah, I'll, I'll the turn room it off. and re-enter. <clears throat> yeah, that's fine. Um, but I mean, <clears throat> it's just a picture now. Um, my my biggest curiosity is you're back. That works. Back. There we go. Okay. My biggest question is how many more people do we need to onboard in order to make this happen, right? Obviously, we need the state representatives and stuff, but, I mean, it sounds like you guys need additional team members to even pull this off, right? Where are you guys missing team members? Yeah, obviously a good point. Um, We we were a little bit spoiled in the beginning. Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, Because of TYT, right, that media reach, and, you know, because of that, we've been able to get over 50,000 volunteers around the country, technically, that have signed up. Obviously, we don't have that many active people, not even close, right? 
Um, and at the end of the day, I do think it's, like I said earlier, we are going to do this. I think it's just a matter of like, when, right? Not if. And it does come down to resources and the amount of people that get involved. And, uh, you know, one thing that people used to say a lot in the beginning of Wolfpack that I used to hear was, you know, we can't compete with the special interest, right? We don't have the resources. And it kind of caused me to step back and really evaluate that. And at the end of the day, it comes down to math. And it's ironic because that's the thing that actually gives me the most hope. It's, it's very ironic because I always hated math growing up. It's my least favorite subject. Never saw the point. Um, but with this, I think it is simply a matter of numbers. So just to give you an idea, Wolfpack, we're completely funded by people like paying 10 bucks a month, <clears throat> you know, between 10, 25, $50 a month. And we, I, I was the first member at $10. And we went from that, you know, whatever it was five years ago when we first started doing membership to uh, being able to have like a small staff now, right? Uh, we make probably tw- 25000 a month now and reoccurring donations because of people being willing to chip in 10 bucks. That's not enough to amend the constitution, right? That, in fact, we don't even have as many staff as like a small gas station. But so we're spread pretty thin, but we've also been able to get five states already to do this. We only had two people working for us. And uh, so that's some perspective, right? And you could have a number that I go back to is, is two numbers. One is 96% of the population, right? You keep coming back to a lot of polls show nine out of 10 Americans want this issue of corruption solved. That's a huge, huge number. Uh, and if you could just get one third of 1%, right? Just as an example, to give $10 a month to a plan that could actually work, let's say ours, uh, that would be $10 million a month to be able to, you know, hire directors, go into state houses, run ads, uh, you know, hire lobbyists if we have to in some place, in some cases, uh, do all of the things that we need to do to get our legislation passed and also prepare for what comes next, right? Because once you get an amendment, there's still going to be plenty of work to do after. So that's one third of 1% of a population, you know, of over 300 million people where you have, you know, 90 up to 96% wanting something done about this specific issue. So, that's kind of what I come back to is like, it's a matter of education. Again, come, you know, that's why we're doing a film. We hope to bring a lot more of the American population into our plan to make them see like, hey, there's a way here. We don't have to rely on Congress. We can actually take matters into our own hands, go to the state governments, get this done. So, well, um, I mean, if you create something visual people can step into, it makes it make more sense, right? But I mean, um if you even paint it with these metaphors or analogies too, people can better understand like, okay, like if you compare it to gardening, like what does this look like? Or if you compare it to some kind of system that exists, it actually appeals to certain learning styles where people are very visual, right? Maybe, maybe they're more dominant on one side of the hemisphere than the other, you know? So uh, seeing visual like helps them put all the pieces together. I mean, that's me. If I have to learn something new, I'm watching a video, right? And, you know, Google only does so much for me. So, yeah, agreed. Michael, and that is, um, I think, you, one of the areas we need to improve on the most. Sorry, go ahead, Faye. That's uh, okay. Have you heard of the 3.5% rule? I want to say yes, but I'm not. I, I, are, you, are you talking about what makes like a revolution or a movement? Yeah, so there's a, a lady who was a researcher... Uh, her name is, I think, Erica Chenoweth, and she's been doing some talks about her research that showed that uh, every campaign that got active participation from at least 3.5% of the population has succeeded in, this, in the sense that 
um, their uh, their revolution or their cause had to be you know recognized by the ruling party whether you know whatever whoever was in charge had to make accommodate them essentially and so hopefully you know with the numbers that you have 90 something percent of our population is pretty high but if we could just get some more people to just activate and actually actively participate you would have the numbers that you need so um i wanted to ask you a kind of a a, a sort of a different type of question a little more fun is how did the name wolfpack come to be what is the wolf in the wolfpack <laughs> the wolf yeah good good question uh initially i you know that was jank you know the the host of qit um but i would imagine you you all heard of one, one way or another <laughs> uh that was his he came up with the whole thing i mean he, he's the founder it's his idea in fact by the way uh he spent three years researching before he founded wolfpack uh, he went to conferences all over the country. He he talked to the groups that were working on this issue of, you know, big money in politics. And he did come to those conclusions. A, we need an amendment. And B, we got to go through the states. And no one wanted to do it. Actually didn't want to found Wolfpack. He's pretty busy. And he didn't want to, you know, put that on his plate. And it, actually, Wolfpack is totally at the detriment of his own personal gain. Uh, you know, he every time he raises money for Wolfpack, he's taking it away from his own business. Uh, you know, and he's done that so many times throughout the years, continues to do it. Um, of course, he's taken on other projects now, too. But, uh, yeah, no, it was all him. And it was the idea was they're not coming for us anymore. We're coming for them. So it was meant to be. There's a question I want to in the chat for quite a while I want to get to. Uh, Jeremy asks, um, simply, what do you envision an American political landscape would look like post Article 5 Amendment? Great question. Um, I think it would look, I mean, the one thing that we also, I think it's important to stress, you know, as we as we go go forward here, is that there, this isn't like a silver bullet, right? And we actually, we do say that as much as we can, you know, just being up front, we're not going to, well, Jake actually probably would disagree. He thinks that there's going to be unicorns and rainbows, <laughs> uh, you know, right after this amendment. But the truth is that an amendment is a guideline. You know, and then there's a ton of work to do after. So if you're talking about just the amendment, I think that I think you're going to have an optimistic country. Actually, I think look, this is the second longest uh, time period that we've been in since the founding without adding an amendment to the Constitution, a meaningful amendment. Uh, it, yeah, around 60 years, I think. Right? We could just so play the count. There's the one. We could be like, you could be a part of history. <laughs> you yeah, you something that, has been done in hundreds of years since 17-something, right? What was so, the most oh, recent amendment it, we had? Well, that's, the, that's actually an interesting story. It's, it was, yeah. uh, it was uh, an amendment that was proposed by, I think, James Madison, right? Hundreds at, during, it was a, during the founding years. And it was for what? P Congress can't give themselves pay raises. <laughs> There's another story ah. of how that amendment happened kind of interesting so there's this guy um what is his name uh i'm kind of blanking on his name he's in texas he's from texas i've met him at the texas state house actually he um he was doing a college course i think i got the story right and he did a paper on wouldn't it be cool because this what happened with this amendment was it was proposed it never got ratified there was like i don't know how many states there, there was left to to get it just sat there for 200 you know plus years and this guy did does a paper uh on wouldn't it be cool if we go if we get this amendment ratified after 200 years the, his professor thought it was so ridiculous that he gave gave him a c <laughs> uh, oh on the paper goodness. and then he decided and i think <laughs> i mean i don't know if i got this totally right but i think he was like 
kind of pissed by that. He's like, oh, I'm going to go out and do it then. And he did. And he's like known as like the guy who got the 27th Amendment added to the Constitution. And, um, and again, so, was that a that that was done by the states again or was it a con- congressional? Yeah, well, that that was that had already been proposed by Congress. Right. So uh, that was proposed from through Congress back way back then. Right. And the, but back in 1789. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and it sat there until this guy does a paper about it 200 years later. So, um, yeah, every amendment so far has been proposed by Congress, right? So, I'll, you know, we'll, but like I said, a big part of it has been the states applying for a convention and then Congress proposing from the pressure, right? So, so the so the part uh, that he had to do was go to each state and ask them to actually ratify state legislature. Yeah. So when amendment when an amendment gets proposed from Congress or from a convention, it has the exact same ratification procedure. Right? So then it has to go. So if, like, yeah, okay, Congress can propose an amendment this week. It has to be approved by two-thirds of both the Senate and the House. And that amendment would have to go out and be approved by, by 38 of our states, right? And, and and if we had a convention and then they crafted an amendment or decided to propose a, a couple of amendments on a certain topic, those amendments would, or amendment, more, more likely it would be one amendment because that's the way Congress has always done it, um, then that amendment would have to be approved by 38 states right so that's what hadn't happened whatever they stopped at whatever it was it wasn't two-thirds um he went and he started lobbying in the state legislature saying hey let's get this passed let's ratify this um congress can't give themselves pay raises it already had passed congress so maybe they wouldn't they actually who knows if they would have approved it themselves these days but that it already passed that part of the procedure so um yeah it's a very interesting story just but i mean it shows you what even one person can do when you're talking about the constitution, right? And it, we use, like I use it in my email quotes, that Margaret, Margaret Mead quote, right? A, a, a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. It's always just a small group of committed people, right? The 3%, 3.5%. It's never, and that's something that, um, another thing that used to come up a lot, uh, you know, when like training or working with other volunteers, new volunteers, is that their first inclination would be like, oh my God, we got to go get, I got to get, I got to get all my friends and family involved, right? And not everyone at Wolfpack takes this view, but I would often say, don't do that. Um, and I know that's probably surprising, right? But the reason that I say that is because uh, my experience, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult because your friends and family have busy lives, they're doing their own thing. Uh, it's easy to get frustrated if you go to, you know, your friends thinking like, oh yeah, you should be a part of this. And then they don't. Right. Um, I instead say, just take your own actions. Like, don't worry about bringing other people into the movement. You're here. Just like go meet with your state reps and see how that experience is. And then from there, like from that is a better use of your energy and will not result in you likely burning out right off. I mean, that isn't to say you can't bring your friends and family and sure do it. Um, but the emphasis here is like on yourself, the action yourself you're here you're the volunteer uh and then man i can't tell you how many people like that that i've seen personally come be a volunteer at wolfpack they're terrified politics they feel like they don't know they're you know what they're doing and they go and they meet with their reps and then that they just get this incredible feeling about how maybe i can make a difference and that evolves into them going to the state house to meet other reps maybe that they're not even constituent of that evolves into them running for office you know, there's now multiple people who started as Wolfpack volunteers for the first time in politics are now actually state legis- le- state legislators around the country. 
So, um, yeah, like it's, it's a great point to say like, you know, we yep. need more people. We definitely <laughs> do, but don't need everyone. So don't get frustrated if everyone doesn't come just, you know, go to the people who already be- understand and want to take action. Yep. You got to be a little careful with the 3% versus 3.5% because 3%, the three percenters are actually a group that is, has styled themselves after the original Minutemen saying that only 3% of the colonists were actively fighting in the field against British forces at any time as Minutemen back in the day. And so they are, they are that, uh, that other counter revolution, it feels like of, you know, we're going to have to take up arms in order to protect ourselves against uh, this eventual failure. And the, I hope that we, um, I hope that we're able to um, uh, really make the wolf pack uh, something that uh, is well known in our own uh, group for the Yang Gang uh, through this uh, podcast. Is there any? Um, I mean, I think wolves have this sort of a reputation of being kind of a, a dangerous, you know, uh, creatures. And uh, when you bring up wolves of, you know, the wolf pack, I think to myself, oh, the wolves of Wall Street, you know, it's, that's definitely like, uh, you know, like it's sort of like uh, the corrupt are the are the wolves there. But um, I think the wolf pack is really about, you know, the alpha predator is sort of the key species in a, in, in most uh, biological sort of um, uh, ecological systems because they are what keeps the environment healthy for all the rest of the creatures in the in that group. And if you just take a look at what's happening to them, you can see how healthy this particular biome is or this particular ecological system is because they call out the weak and the and the and uh, they keep the environment stable. And so um, I hope that the wolf pack can become something that is um, not only well known in gang gang, but uh, that we can participate more fully in it. And maybe we can get some of this uh, action going so that we can also get our favorite, which is the universal basic income passed. Are you familiar with the universal basic income? I am. Yeah, I can't say that I know all the details, but I've, I'm definitely familiar with the concept. Yep. Uh, so a lot of us have learned a lot of, of things about democracy this year in supporting Andrew Yang that um, have been very, very um, disappointing. <laughs> so um, <laughs> if we could take that a disappointment and channel that energy something useful that would be awesome and so we really appreciate you coming and are there any um like social media platforms or websites or things like that that you would like our listeners to come connect with you guys with uh sure yeah we have all the usual right we have uh we have you know wolfpack it's wolfpack hq so wolf hyphen pac uh you know hq you can find usually our twitter our youtube uh twitch we just started uh, about a month ago and we're starting to you know build that up and uh, of course, Facebook and Instagram. But an amazing communications team that's all volunteer. Uh, that's putting out some really good graphics and, and stuff uh, from that team. Uh, but I would say if you're interested in getting involved, just start at the website. You can get everything from there. It's just wolf-pac.com. And uh, you know, if you can, if anyone is willing to become a member, just ten bucks a month. That's how we've done it, one person at a time. And uh, it's uh, it's a good community. You know, the thing about Wolfpack is, yes, we do have the aggressive sort of nature, right, of like how we were initially founded, but they are really like a family too. I mean, community is really uh, an amazing thing at Wolfpack. During the pandemic, we couldn't go to state houses, so we started doing virtual events, and we have like volunteers who put on like game nights and uh, all kinds of just cool stuff to keep people together, like online. So if you volunteer, you're just gonna you're just gonna be introduced to that culture. 
and uh, and it's awesome. It's truly amazing. Like I can't even I couldn't even try to describe it to you guys, but it's sounds it's like powerful. very very uh, sounds very similar to sort of the youthful uh, energy of the Yin Gang. So I think uh, so. Yeah. Two movements that can uh, really grow together. Absolutely. Well, no, I, I, the I thing too with the is we're really good at Twitter um, trending. Okay, like we we have the ability to like trend things. So I mean, please, uh, if you nice. uh, leave things that you need trended in our group chat or something, like you know, we we do try. You know, uh, we're okay. some yeah. days. Uh, we're better than others, right? But, like, you know, we, we want to get the word out. And, um, you know, the Yang Gang, uh, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, you know, we're all over the place because we're just part of the United States and we're um, very determined to get money into our pockets uh, through this universal basic income pilot. Um, but we also really hate corruption. So, like, I mean, the thing is, I think we don't know, we feel... I mean, I felt pretty hopeless about getting the corruption out of politics. And then when I heard about your organization, I was like, maybe, maybe there's a sliver of hope here. And I just need to learn how to um, follow that little uh, thread. Right. And I think uh, a lot of Yang Gang members also want to follow these little threads of like, how do we actually have a chance? And you've provided a significant amount of answers that, um, you know, might help people at least try to go in the right direction but i mean we are good at networking we have people who are trying to get um into politics right uh people who are actually um trying to get elected uh trying to push these ideas forward uh where our whole thing is humanity first right and what you're talking about is humanity first you know it's it's not corruption first it's not uh corporations first you know uh, so if you, if you need help from our team, you know, like we're here. <laughs> awesome. Hey, yeah, do you no, want to go ahead and do your closing? Yeah. Oh. Do you want to go ahead and do your closing now? Because we're coming to the end of our scheduled time together, I think. Oh yeah, I can start with mine and then we'll pass it along. Um, mm-hmm. my name is Faye Doney. Uh, you can find me on Twitch, Twitter, and TikTok at Tisdoney, T-I-S-D-O-N-E-Y. Um, I'm still fighting to start a universal basic income pilot in Fort Deposit. I need to talk to Andrew Yang, but you know, like if Andrew Yang can find a Jack Dorsey, that I can find a Jack Dorsey to help this little town because like it, it it's a dying city uh if you guys want to um contribute to like i'm just broke so if you want to help me out to push and make sure i got the equipment i need um you can donate to uh, my venmo is art by Doni. um my paypal is pulling a Doni, and my cash up is fade Doni. thank you i'll put that in there and Doni is spelled d-o-n-e-y <laughs> But, uh, you know, the this uh, little town is in Louisiana, I mean, is in Alabama. And so uh, Faye is uh, currently working on some big projects there, and we, we wish the best for her. Kaizen, you were very quiet um, during our podcast. I don't know if we just didn't invite you enough to, to speak up, but um, if you would like to let people know how to contact you, you're welcome to. Um, sure. <clears throat> sure. Can you hear me okay? Um <laughs> Can you hear me okay? Yes. You're, okay. Yes, you're here. Yes. Uh, best way to reach me, actually, probably Twitter. Uh, I am Kaizen Casey at Kai M on Twitter. Um, and then, 
what else? I don't do Facebook, so there's there's also uh, Gmail if you want to send me an email. It's kaimmccoy at gmail.com. Okay, and we're looking forward to having you and uh, having you be our um, our special guest on Sunday, hopefully. Well, we'll see how this works. I, I mean, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm excited to talk about just the idea that I'm floating about running for Senate against Roy Blunt because, you know, Mr. Hawley is doing right by our country and Missourians. Uh, your voice just cut out for a moment. I, I think I heard that you're running for office in Missouri. Is that correct? Um, I think the internet may not be working well for Kai's today. Yeah, cut out at a bad time. Well, tune in Sunday for the exciting conclusion. <laughs> okay, my name is Faye Koo, and I'm at Palestine Math on Twitter. And you can find me at the Yang Gang Report Live. Hopefully, we'll be doing something with Faye this coming Monday. We haven't been doing a lot of live streams, but uh, we're going to try to get back on on the horse on that. Um, Ariel, are you ready? So you can find me on my Twitter. It's at Ariel's Ariels. That's A-R-I-E-L-S-A-E-R-I-A-L-S. And uh, I also have a YouTube page. It's youtube.com slash revolutionary thinking where I take deep dives into political topics, cultural topics. Awesome. And Kaizen, are you back with us? Or uh, I seem to see some activity. Looks like she's muted herself. Okay, well, then uh, I guess we'll we'll uh, just see each other soon again. Uh, don't we have a social stream coming up tonight, Shil? We do at 8 o'clock, 8 to 11 or so tonight. So in a few hours, we're going to play AI Dungeon. Oh, yes, and I will be there. Yeah. <laughs> so um, just to let our listeners know, AI Dungeon is sort of a this uh, beautiful game where artificial intelligence uh, fills in you know, become sort of randomizes the story by participating as one of the actors. So um, if you join our game, you can become, you can choose your own character and it's kind of a choose your own character sort of story, story making magic uh, along with the AI participating just to throw a, throw some uh, little little bits of, well, I I find it interesting because, uh, you know, it's (laughs) sometimes the AI is remarkably sentient, right? And it's just so, uh, is able to write feelings and write uh, like information and get like tone correct, which just just really blows you away. When the computer doesn't do it right, you're like, yeah, whatever, you know, it's original, just funny. But uh, when it really is hits the nail on on the head, you're like, wow, amazing. We did a game like two days ago with Sheridan. The Sheridan proposed the premise of where we were all playing. Uh, Fictional politicians who'd been appointed to Joe Biden's federal redistricting community to like fix gerrymandering and like you know to fix See, gerrymandering. That's a very, that was so. That's a very specific, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, scenario, and the and AI the, just yeah. followed perfectly. Huh? It, with the aid of the AI, I mean, it happened just like it would, and lobbyists got to write the bill sort of as ghostwriters, and everyone got away with it, and everyone was handsomely bribed, and that was the story. <laughs> So yeah, well, uh, let's like see what's going to happen tonight. Like, well, what about this? It knows too much. Automation is here <laughs> in the form of AI dungeon. It's so. proving that machine learning is uh, pretty capable, and yeah, uh, it's going to be amazing. This is amazing. 
All right. Well, All right. So, thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Uh, did Mike? Mike, do you have any? Uh, do you want to give your sign off? Did, did you give your sign off? Oh, I don't think you. Did. Uh, I didn't. Sounds like I just gave my name. You started? No, you did. In a contest. Okay. You yeah. Oh, I did at the beginning. Okay. I thought we started with Faye, but I guess we started with you. Yeah. I think I gave a Twitter I log in like twice a year. You did. I mean, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> all right well i guess i yeah, guess thanks. uh that we're gonna we'll wrap it up it's five o'clock on the dot so thanks again for watching thanks for listening uh we will be back uh again tonight and then uh again tomorrow and again on sunday with more basic income advocacy so take care everybody thank you again thank you for work. having mike bye thank you for coming that, that,